and we're going to start there. And this will be part three of this Stranger Things series, Colossians 1, verse 15. This is kind of where we've been hanging out on Sunday mornings. And this has been our theme verse for this series, Colossians 1, verse 15. Now, let me encourage you with this. I know uh, over the past year or so, uh, we've tried to uh, put more of the scriptures on the screen because it, it helps me move a little bit quicker. And also to kind of show you some translations that maybe you don't have. But let me say, uh, I appreciate you guys. You know, you can still look in your Bibles. But even if you don't get to the reference, you can at least write it down. Can I get amen? Because it's going to help you. So you can go back and you remember what was talked about. And so even if you can't turn to it quick enough, you can at least write it down. But especially in a series like this where we've been teaching more than preaching, this will be something really good because I'm giving a lot more verses than normal. So you can go back and you can read the verses and study it on your own time. So Colossians 1 and verse 15, it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everybody say the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Now, let's just leave this verse up here. So, uh, in this series that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, we've been talking about the unseen world. Not the unreal world, the unseen world. Because actually, in reality, the unseen world or the spiritual realm is stronger and greater and more powerful than the realm or world that we live in. Because the supernatural is eternal. But the natural we're living in right now on the earth is only temporary. So the supernatural and the supernatural world or the unseen world is actually more powerful than the world that we're living in right now. And so we see that God created everything, the seen and the unseen, invisible and visible. And he created all these things and they're all under his authority. Now that's the good news. And when he created these things in the unseen world, he put not just himself over these things, but us as believers, we have authority over the unseen world. Both good spiritual beings and evil spiritual beings, we both have authority over them as children of God. Now, we're, we're not just human beings. We're not just people walking this planet. We are children of God. It says if you've been born again, you are a son and daughter of God. So that puts you in a little bit different dimension than your average person. It puts you in a little bit different of a place because we're not just human beings walking this world being influenced by good and evil beings. We have authority over them because we are God's children. And we are sons and daughters, so we have authority just like he has authority. So we see that this supernatural world is real. Unseen does not mean unreal. Let me ask you one more time. Has anyone ever seen God in here? Does he work at the 7-Eleven? Kidoba. Seen him? Seen him at the gym. Now how many of you believe in God in here? But you haven't seen him. Now, why haven't you seen him? Because he's in the unseen realm. Not unreal, unseen. He's in the supernatural. And you're in the natural. And unless God would reveal himself to you, you're never going to see him or hear him or understand him. In the same way, most of you in here haven't seen a demon or an angel or a spiritual being. Now, why haven't you seen that? Because unless God would reveal that to you, it is beyond your ability to comprehend or hear or understand with these natural ears and natural eyes and these five senses we have. It is beyond you because it's in a different, greater dimension than where we live at today. In another world, in an unseen world. But we know that God created... The visible and invisible, the seen and the unseen. And he created all these spiritual beings in the unseen world. And they are real. Can I get amen? They are real. 
So the past few weeks, we've been talking about the good spiritual beings, which are angels. The Bible talks a lot about angels. So the last two weeks, I encourage you, if you weren't here, get online, listen to the podcast. We talked about angels. But today we're going to shift gears, and we've been talking about good spiritual beings, which are angels, but we're going to shift gears and talk about the dark side. Everybody say the dark side. And so I don't know if you've ever heard an encouraging, fun message about Satan, but today's going to be your day. Is that even possible? I'm going to try it. So we'll see what happens. I don't know if you've heard many encouraging, fun messages about Satan, but we're going there today, and I believe it will be a good time, not because Satan's good, but because we're going to realize we have authority over him. So that's the point. Okay, so we've been talking about good spiritual beings. Now we're going to kind of shift gears and talk about the evil spiritual beings on the earth. So we see that, you know, there's a hierarchy in authority in the spirit realm. There is authority. There is leadership. They're all not of the same rank. They're all not, they all don't have the same authority. There is a level of leadership in the spiritual realm. Of course, there's God at the top, but then there is angels underneath him. And there's some angels, like we talked about last week, that are archangels. So they're in a higher position. They have leadership. And so other angels are over them. But it's the same way in the evil world. In the evil supernatural realm, there is a hierarchy of leadership, which the devil would be at the top. But then under him, there is ranks of demonic spirits or fallen angels that are under him. And they don't have all the same authority. They don't all have the same leadership. There's a hierarchy to it. In the same way there is in the good supernatural realm. You follow me so far? So we're going to talk about the devil first, since he's kind of at the top of the evil side of these spiritual beings. But then we're going to talk about later on, maybe not today, but in the next few weeks, about demons and fallen spirits under him. But they all operate the same way. All evil spiritual beings are just like their master, the devil. So what's true for the devil is true for demons, fallen angels, whatever you want to call them, underneath him. They all have the same characteristics. They're all like each other. They all operate the same way because they are of their father, the devil. You follow me so far? So we see, we're going to talk about the devil today. So we're going to have to answer some questions here first. How many believe God is good here? God is good, and everything God created is good. So, how did evil come into the world? How did this being known as the devil or demons, how did they happen? Well, that's what we're going to answer first. I want to talk to you a little bit about where the devil came from and where he fell from and who he is. And then later on in the message, I want to talk to you about how he operates as the devil. You guys excited about this? Now, I said this is going to be the most fun, encouraging message you've ever heard about a devil in your life. If you're with me, if you're pulling on me here. Once again, not because the devil's so awesome and fun, but it's fun that we have authority over him. Okay? So, we see here everything that God created is good. Nothing he created is evil. So what? happened. Well, there's going to be two passages we go to in a second that describe what happened to the devil in the beginning. Now, both of these passages are from the Old Testament. They're written by Old Testament prophets. One's Ezekiel, and the other one is Isaiah. And these two prophets give us insight into understanding the devil, understanding where he came from, how he fell, what his uh, job was in the beginning, what he did before he fell. And so we're going to turn to these two passages in Ezekiel and Isaiah. Let's go to Ezekiel first, 28. And we're going to start in verse 13 in a second. Ezekiel 28. Now this is going to be the first part that these prophets give us insight into who the devil is. 
Ezekiel 28, we're going to start there in a second. So before we go any further, let me clear this up. The devil's name is not the devil. (laughs) The devil's name is not the devil. The devil's name is not Satan. Now we're going to get into the names of what the Bible calls him. Those are words to describe what he does and who he is. The devil is not a name. Satan, I know we, we, the enemy, those are words to describe what he does. In the beginning, the name of the devil was Lucifer. And he is a created being. He is not on the same level as God. He is a created being who was created an angel that served God and was in leadership in heaven. And Lucifer had a lot of authority in heaven. And so this word Lucifer, I know when we say Lucifer or you hear somebody on TV, everybody's automatically thinking um, about the devil, about Satan, which is right. But they always think of it in that name meaning something bad, but it doesn't. The name Lucifer, because this is the way that God created Lucifer in the beginning, means day star, son of the morning, and light bearer. So there's nothing about that name Lucifer that's evil. Because God didn't create Lucifer in the beginning as evil. He created him as a good spiritual being who was in authority in heaven. So Lucifer means, once again, day star, son of the morning, and light bearer. That's what Lucifer means. So Ezekiel 28, let's start here in verse 13. He's talking about Lucifer, the devil, Satan, same person. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. And notice this, you were clothed, your clothing was adorned with every precious stone. Now I'm not going to read through all these stones, but it lists all these beautiful stones. And it says, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold They were given to you on the day you were created. Okay, let's stop. So what do we know about Lucifer in the beginning? Lucifer in the beginning was a created being, a good angel in leadership who was beautiful. And the problem was he knew he was beautiful. But God created Lucifer as a beautiful spiritual being that had all these precious stones in him. That's what it says. In verse 14, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God, walked among the stones of fire. Verse 15, you were blameless in all your all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. So what happened here? Lucifer was good in the garden with God, beautiful, but it says you were blameless or you were perfect until evil was found in you. Notice God didn't put evil in you. You decided of your own will, Lucifer, to become evil and turn against God. Notice what it says, your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, O mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Notice this, your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. And your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. So why did Satan fall from heaven? Why did Satan get kicked out of heaven because of pride? Because sin and evil was found in him. God didn't put it in him. It was found in him because of a choice of his own will. Now let's look over at Isaiah, if we could. Isaiah 14. It's okay if I teach you for a second. Isaiah 14 and verse 12. Isaiah the prophet speaking about Lucifer in the beginning. What does it say? How are you fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning? Now what does that mean? Lucifer. You have been thrown down to the earth. Notice this. You who destroyed the nations of the world. So we know that God punished Satan and threw him to the earth. 
Verse 13, for you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will, are you hearing this? Preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Verse 15, instead you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. So what happened here, these two passages in Ezekiel and Isaiah give us a picture, an insight to what happened to Lucifer in the beginning. Before we were ever here, before mankind was on the earth, he gives us an insight into Lucifer. Lucifer was good. He was holy. He was righteous. He was one of God's high-ranking angels, just like Gabriel or Michael. Lucifer was up there with those kind of guys. And it says in other passages, Lucifer was not only beautiful, he was a light bearer, and he had all these precious stones, and he knew he was pretty. Kind of like Muhammad Ali. He knew he was pretty. <laughs> he knew he was good looking. He looked at himself in the mirror a little bit too much. And it said, what happened? He started to be prideful. And it says evil was found in him. And in other places it says that he led the worship in heaven. And he was a good musician. So what happened? Pride was found in him. Because he played music real good. And he sang real good. And he looked real good. Sounds like a modern day rock star, doesn't it? And pride and evil was found in him. And he decided, I'm tired of leading the worship for God. I want the worship for myself. It's not cutting at me just serving God and helping him out. I want my own ministry. I want to pastor myself at Starbucks. Oh, why aren't you saying anything to that? I want to do my own thing. I, I want to receive the worship because I'm beautiful. And I'm good looking. And I'm good at music. And I'm a leader in heaven. People like me. And I'm a light bearer. I'm one of the people that helps God out all the time. And it says what happened to Lucifer. Evil was found in him and pride. Do you know at the root of all sin is pride? The root of sin is self. Anytime we choose to sin, it's because we're putting self first. Aren't we? And that's what he did. What did he say? I will ascend. I will be worshipped. I will be like God. I will do this. What is that? That's pride. And the root of all sin is steeped in pride and self. When you choose to sin, you choose to put yourself first. You're not putting God's ways first. You're not putting others first. You're putting self first. But it's tricky. That's how sin gets you. Because you think you're putting yourself first, but actually sin's going to hurt you in the future. So what you're doing to put yourself first is ultimately going to hurt you down the road, but you don't see it. So you're thinking you're putting yourself first, but actually you're really not. In the future, it's going to hurt. And that's what the enemy didn't know when he decided to do this. Satan thought, I'm going to get away with this. Lucifer thought he really had a chance. But as soon as he had that thought, guess what happened? He fell from heaven. And it says he fell to earth like lightning that quick. God said, what did you just say? Bap! Just that quickly, it says that Satan fell to earth. And notice he took one-third of the angels with him. But what happened? He let pride get to him. God didn't create him that way. God didn't create him evil and prideful. He created him holy and righteous and in a level of leadership in heaven to do something great. But pride, self, sin entered into his heart, and he made that choice, and then he became the devil as we know it. You guys get something so far? i got to teach you before I preach to you. So, once again, the devil, Satan, serpent, all these names that are given are not his actual name. His name is Lucifer. 
Once again, that means light bearer, son of the morning. It actually has a positive connotation to it. But after he fell, from then on out, no one ever called him Lucifer again. And when he's referred to in the Bible, he's never referred to as Lucifer again. He's only referred to as the names I'm about to tell you, which are examples that are given to tell you who he is and what he does. Are you ready for this? So when, when people use the word Satan, Satan actually means this. It's not a name like George or Bob. Satan actually means adversary, hater, enemy. So when you, people say Satan or you see Satan in the Bible, that's what it means. The adversary, the hater, the enemy. When people say devil, the, the word devil actually means, it's not, it's not like somebody's name, it means the accuser or a slanderer. The Bible uses the word serpent for Lucifer. Serpent means an enchanter, and it stands for deception. Now, there's tons of names in the Bible we could get into, but other names that are mentioned in the Bible that refer to Lucifer, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, same person. The tempter, the wicked one, the evil one, the thief, all of those are in your Bible, and it's all talking about the same person. So that doesn't mean today, I just wanted to clear that up so you have some knowledge about your Bible. But that doesn't mean every time you refer to the devil, you have to refer to him as his proper name, Lucifer. I think he gets it at this point. He knows what his name is. You can call him Satan, the enemy, the adversary, the hater. You can call him whatever you want. The wicked one, I think he understands what you're talking about. But notice, for our own knowledge, we need to understand why the Bible uses these different words for who Lucifer is because it's telling you who he is and what he does. Now, what does he do? He hates on people. He's the enemy of people. He's an accuser. He's the adversary. He's the enchanter. He's the wicked one. He's the thief. Notice that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan. That's Lucifer. So we need to understand how he works. How he works. You guys still getting something so far today? How does he work? Well, before we get into this, now understand, there's the devil, but then there's demons under him, fallen angels under him, that all operate in the same way that he operates. But they mimic him because he's their master. So when I go down this, I want you to think about it broader than just the devil. Because can we be honest here? When people say the devil's after me, it's not. You guys are looking at me like, what? When people say, oh, Satan's been after me all week. He's been trying to put the flu on me. <laughs> you're right, but you're wrong. I want to explain this to you. Because there is the devil, and then there is devils under him. The devil does not think you're that important to visit your house and attack you personally. Okay? So let's just, let's just straighten out our theology. You're not that big and bad in the body of Christ that the devil is personally sent to your house every day. Now, there could be a demonic spirit that's messing with you or a devil, but it's not the devil. Unless you're Jesus Christ, the devil is not coming to you to tempt you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm just saying because I've heard a lot of church people say that. I know what they mean, but... Trust me, it's not the devil that's after you. It's a devil, but not the devil. But all the demonic spirits or fallen angels under him operate the same way he does. So if we know how he operates, we know how they operate. So that's what we're going to talk about for a second. Like I said, unless you're Jesus, I don't think the devil personally is coming to visit you or try to put something on you. But he does have people under him that try to do that very often. The reality is that there is more spiritual forces in our life than we realize. And there's spiritual beings affecting us every day more than we want to give them credit for. Most people are affected by it, but they don't know. So the truth is most of us are being influenced in the good and the bad by spiritual beings and spiritual influences more than we can ever acknowledge. 
The good news is we have more authority over them than we ever knew about. So you could act like it's not affecting you. Well, just because you're not aware of it, no, things are affecting you. Spiritual beings, the supernatural is affecting you every day. But the good news is we have more authority than we ever realized before as believers. So how does he operate? He operates the number one way, the greatest power that Satan, the devil, Lucifer has. The greatest power he has is the power of deception. The greatest power the enemy has is deception. Now, you hear people say this, and I know they got a good heart, and they're like, well, the devil's just dumb. No, he's not. The devil's defeated, but he's not dumb. Because he's had thousands and thousands of years to practice on people. He's had thousands and thousands of years to tempt people and to deceive people. So actually, Satan, or the devil, is very intelligent. He's very smart. The Bible says he's very crafty. He's sly. He's cunning. He's a con man. And he's had thousands and thousands of years to be really, really good at it. And believers that are ignorant of it fall for it every time. It's not just people that don't know God fall for it. Believers fall for it. Because he's smart. Now, he's not more powerful than you, but what does he do? The power is deception. Deception. He's defeated, but he's not dumb. He knows what he's doing, how he's doing it, and he's trained all the demonic spirits or fallen angels under him to be just like him. So they know just as much as he knows. They've been trained for all these years on how to tempt people, on how to deceive people, on how to, to, to change people, to go do things that they shouldn't. He's had all this time to study this and study this and study this. That's why his greatest power is deception. Because you're more powerful than him. He can't just come at you. He knows he has to go in the back door. He's not going to come to the front door. He's got to go to the back door. Or he's got to crawl in a window. Do you know that the devil never comes to you at your front door knocking like a little Halloween kid with a devil costume on saying, I'm the devil. I'm here to destroy your life. I'm here to tempt you. I'm here to deceive you. I'm here at your front door. I'm dressed like the devil himself, red horns, pitchfork. Can you see me? The devil never does that. Why? Because if he did that, you would know it was the devil. Are you following me so far? He doesn't go like that. He goes in the back door. He goes in the side door. Or when he comes to the front door, he doesn't look like the devil. He looks like everything you've ever wanted. Why? Because his greatest power is the power of deception. He doesn't come dressed like the devil. He doesn't come dressed like when you see your life down the road when you're a drunk. He doesn't come, come and show you the pictures of your life falling apart. He doesn't see you down the road when you're in the hospital. He doesn't show you pictures of you being depressed and suicidal. He doesn't show you any of that stuff. What does he show you? Everything you've ever wanted and more. Why? Because his greatest power is deception. And the Bible tells us he will take advantage of us if we aren't on guard and have knowledge of him. So today, this is what we're going to do, and I heard this from the doctor himself first. We're going to take the curtain, and we're going to show you what he's really like. We're going to take this guy who, who acts like he's all big and bad and deceives people, and we're going to pull the curtain all the way over here and let you see how he really is. Because he doesn't want you to see that. Why? Because his power is in deception. Now, why do most church people literally get ruled by the devil every day of their life, and he is the one dominating them and controlling their prayer life and putting sickness on them and making them walk in defeat? Because churches never talk about him. 
And when you don't talk about him, guess what? He likes that. Because he doesn't want to be showed out for who he really is. He doesn't want a preacher to come on Sunday morning and pull the curtain back and say, no, the devil really is like this, and he's a deceiver, and this is what he's trying to do. He wants to keep you in the dark. Keep you in the dark. What is it saying in uh, the Old Testament? My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And deception has everything to do with not knowing about something. Oh, he loves it. You know what he loves even more? When, when churches say from the pulpit on Sunday morning, they never mention the devil. They never mention Satan. They just say, everything that happens to you is God's will. Oh, he loves that. Because I'm not even in the picture. If you're sick, it's God's will. If you had a car wreck, it's God's will. If you get cancer, it's God's will. If you're in poverty, it's God's will. If you're addicted, it's God's will because he's just trying to teach you something. And nobody ever mentions Satan. Oh, he loves that. Because what are you doing? You're letting the deceiver get off. The thief is over here taking and you're pointing at the wrong person. Come on, I'm preaching 25% better than you're responding this morning. He loves it. Oh, he loves it. Loves it. Let's preach about that on Sunday. Everything's God's will. He's like, oh, preach that. No one will ever know. Why? Because the Bible says he's a thief. He's sneaky. He's a con man. He loves it. Oh, don't talk about me. Nobody over here. He loves churches and believers who don't talk about him. Now, we're not talking about him to exalt him. We're talking about him to show him up today, to show you who he really is, to show you he's a punk and he's a defeated foe, and he's a fallen angel at best that you have authority over. But he's not dumb, and that's how he gets us. (laughs) Deception. Okay, let me give you some verses for this because I feel like you're, you're actually starting to get with me now. You were doubting. You're like, how could this be a fun message about Satan? Okay, you're starting to realize it could be fun. 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 11. In the New Living Translation, 2 Corinthians 2 and 11. Notice what this says. This is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. Who, if you know about the Corinthians, the devil was whooping their butts. They were literally doing everything dumb that you could think of. And Paul says to them, So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are familiar with his evil schemes. Other translations say we are familiar with his schemes, devices. Some translations say tricks. Once again, he's not coming in your front door. Don't don't look for him there. He's sneaking in the window. He's coming in the back way. He's not coming in the front door. But notice what it says. So that Satan will not outsmart us. He wouldn't say that if it couldn't be true. So Satan can outsmart outsmart you if you don't have knowledge of him. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. That's what we're talking about this morning. That's the reason I'm preaching on this. So you are familiar with his evil schemes or his evil tricks so that when the time comes, he will not outsmart you. He will not take advantage of you because you already know. So we have to talk about this because he will take advantage of us when we don't have knowledge and we're not on guard. Let's look at what it says in the message. It says that we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. This dude is a weasel, y'all. Do you not understand? He is the con of cons. I'm sorry if you're a used car salesman, but he is a used car salesman. He is the same guy that will open his suit coat up and there's old watches and fake Rolexes. That is the same dude. The dude is a con artist. He is sly. He is schemy. He's a weasel who has greasy hair. That's who he is. And notice what it says. We don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for him to do something. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. Yeah. 
That's why we're preaching about this this morning. Because we as a church, we're not going to be oblivious to what he is trying to do in our life. We're going to have knowledge of it. We're going to put him on guard. And we're going to do something about it. We're not going to be naive Christians walking around like we don't know what's going on. And whatever will be, will be. And it's all the will of God. Bull. Poop. Spirit of the prophet got on me there for a second. Let me give you another verse, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14. I told you he's a weasel. Look at this. But I am not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now, what was he in the beginning? He was light. He was Lucifer, which means a light bearer. So what does he come to you like? I'm not surprised. Paul saying to this church, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He didn't come with horns. No pitchfork. What does he come? <laughs> Hi. Light. Angelic. Everything you've ever wanted. It's got to be wonderful. That's the way he comes. That's not who he is. But what does he do? He disguises himself, that's what it says, as an angel of light so he can take advantage of us. But we're not unaware of his devices and schemes, church. We're not going to let him outsmart us and take advantage of us because his greatest power is deception. You guys get something so far? In John 8, 4, 4, you can just write this down. It says that Satan is a liar and the father of all liars. And there's no truth found in him. No truth found in him. So when he tells you something, don't believe it. So many people, the devil feeds them lies all the time and they believe it. What has the Bible just said? That he is a liar and the father of lies and there's no truth in him. Because he'll tell you stuff like, oh, you're never going to get out of this. Oh, you're always going to be sick. You're always going to be poor. You're never going to get victory over this. Oh, you're always going to feel depressed and suicidal. You're never going to break this addiction. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to fulfill the plan of God. What does it say? He's a liar. And there's no truth found in him. So actually, if he's saying it, it means it's true. Think about that. And the opposite, he's just scared that you are going to get it. And you are going to fulfill the plan of God. And you are going to do what you're called to do. And you are going to be healed. And you're going to be prosperous. And your family is going to turn out right. And your, your prodigal child is going to come back home. And the things are going to change for you. So what does he do? He feeds you lies that are the opposite of truth to get you to believe it. And the more he says it, the more he's intimidated that it's going to happen. Because there's no truth in him. No truth in him. So we see that the devil can take advantage of us if we aren't on guard and have knowledge. But today, we're going to be aware of his schemes and his tricks. And we're going to not let him outsmart us or take advantage of us. So how does he deceive? Deception comes through suggestion. And we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Let's go to Genesis 3. How do we get deceived? Well, it starts with a suggestion. Once again, he doesn't come in the front. He's got to come around back. He's got to come in a window. He would never flat out tell you to do something wrong, but what will he do? He'll ask questions. He'll suggest things. That's how deception starts. So Genesis 3 in verse 1, this is in the Garden of Eden. This is the story of how the serpent, which is the devil, how he tricked Adam and Eve into sinning. The first sin that ever happened. The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat 
the fruit from any of the trees in the garden. Verse 2, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Notice what Satan says. You won't die. You won't die. Doesn't that sound like him? He's an angel of light. You won't die. It'll be good. You're fine. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good from evil. Next verse. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Let's go back to verse 1 for a second, though. Genesis 3 and 1. Because this is really the heart of every sin. It starts out like this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God made. One day he asked, did God really say? So, the devil, greatest power is what? Deception. All right, three people know. We're going to need to teach this again. Let's try this again. The greatest power the devil has is? And he deceives through? Okay, let's try this again. The greatest power the devil has is? And he deceives through? There we go. See, now you're on the same page with me. He suggests things in a non-offensive way, in a nice way, angel of light. Knows because he's a con man. He's sly. He's cunning. And he didn't go and flat out say to Adam and Eve, don't you obey God? Don't do what he said. What did he do? He asked a question. Suggestion to get them thinking. Every sin that any of us have ever committed was started with a suggestion or a thought that came to your mind before you ever did it. Anyone who's ever sinned and messed up, including myself, it's always started as a suggestion or a thought. That's how he starts. And then he works from there. If he'll get you to bite on one, guess what? He's going to keep throwing out the bait. Suggestion, 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 and then he'll get you to do what you said you weren't going to do, and then he's got you. So what's it say? He asked the woman, did God really say? Suggestion. Every sin that we ever commit starts with that question in our mind first. Did God really say to tithe? Did God really say to be a part of a local church? Did God really say to get into my Bible? Did God really say that I shouldn't be drunk every Friday night? Did God really say I shouldn't sleep around? Did God really say that I shouldn't like people of the same sex? Did God really say that? Suggestion. He never flat out says you shouldn't do this or you should do this. Did God really say? And then what does he do? He puts doubt in your mind. What's the next thing he did? That God is holding back on you. What's the next thing? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. Next verse. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or, you, or if you touch it or if you do, you will die. And then the serpent said, you will not die. So what does he do? Suggestion. Did God really say? And then once he got, got you there and he, you're thinking down that same path, did God really say? The doubt comes and your next thought is what he said next. God doesn't want you to get into that because that's fun. 
you feeling like you're missing out on something. That's what he was implying. Oh, God said you could eat of all the trees, but what about the one in the middle? Because that's the best one. It's quiet in this Methodist Presbyterian Assembly of God Church. Isn't that what he does? Can anybody who's ever sinned attest to this? I raise my hand first. How does he start? Did God really say or did your parents say that? Or did God say it? Or maybe you're reading your Bible and you see something that convicts you and what is your question? Did God really say that? Or maybe the translators messed up on this verse. Or you read a liberal theology uh, commentary that says, oh, this part shouldn't have been in the Bible anyways. Just because we don't want to obey it and we want to do whatever the heck we want to do. Did God really say? Yes, he really said. And he said it for your own good. And he said it to bring you into greater joy. To bring you into greater fun. To bring you into greater life. To bring you into greater abundance. He only said it to preserve your life, not hinder your life. And the boundaries he gave you are not boundaries to keep you out of the good stuff. They're to keep you out of the bad stuff. The boundaries are there for the blessing to be a part of your life. Why can't people see this? Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? It's that obvious, and Satan has fooled so many people into thinking the opposite of what I just said was true. But what does the Bible say? We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We're not going to let him outsmart us or take the advantage of us because we know better now. And now that everybody in this congregation just heard what I said, you know better now. So don't act next time temptation comes like you don't know what's up. You do. And you're aware of his devices. Come on now, somebody. Did God really say? Yes, he really said. And he said it for your good. To bring you into more joy, more peace, more life, more fulfillment. And the enemy always the next thing. Puts doubt in your head. Oh, God's holding out on you. He just don't want you to have fun. That's why I told you not to do that. Wrong. What is that? What is that lie that people believe? When you're getting wasted on Friday night, what are you believing? You're believing that God's holding out on you. So I got to live my life and do my own thing. Because that's where the real fun is. Deception. Deception. Prodigal son figured that out, didn't he? I was going to live my life. I don't need my dad anyways. Spend my money. Sleep with whoever I want to sleep with. Drink whatever I want to drink. Smoke whatever I want to smoke. Live my life. Get off me. I can do what I want. Why? Because there's an enemy in his ear saying, did God really say? The same voice was saying, your dad's holding back on you. You are up in this house not having the fun you really want to have. God's holding back on you. But he wasn't. He wasn't. Think about this. Adam and Eve had every tree to eat but one. <laughs> are you guys with me so far? Every tree. Isn't that like God's ways? God has all this abundance for us, and we as human beings are so ignorant sometimes, we choose the one he said not to touch. When there's millions of trees we can't touch, and we focus on the one God said not to touch. Why? We could be enjoying the millions, but we're over here pouting about the one we can't touch that would hurt us when it we touched it anyways. I'm trying to preach... I'm trying to preach today. Deception comes through suggestion. I heard a preacher say this before, and it's kind of funny. The only problem with deception is you don't know when you're deceived. If you knew, you wouldn't be deceived. 
And can we be honest? All of us have been here living our life, doing certain things, and we don't see it. We, we don't see it. We don't think it's a big deal. We don't understand. And then somebody has to come out from the outside and say, what are you doing? What's going on? Why? Because we don't realize we've been deceived this whole time. But when you're deceived, you don't know you are. Until hopefully a pastor or a leader on a Sunday morning gets up and tells you what the real truth is and what Satan's really trying to do in your life and the deception and suggestion you've been listening to, they're all lies. But a lot of times, notice we can't see it because we're deceived. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. Notice what it says, but I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted. Notice what he says, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. He's talking to this New Testament church and he says, I fear that your devotion is going to be taken away. Why? Because you're going to be deceived just like Eve was. By the cunning ways. What does that word again mean? Cunning, sly, tricky. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You know, in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, you can write this down. The reason I'm talking so strong about this is this verse right here. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Just listen to me when I say this. The verse says, In the latter days, which where we're living in, some will depart from the faith. We're talking faith churches, faith people. Are you hearing me? This is not just a generic faith. We're talking about in the last days, it says some will depart from the faith. Faith churches, faith teaching. Faith people, oh, I don't want to come to that church anymore because I don't want to believe that anymore. I want to go to a church that doesn't challenge me. I'm going to go to a church who doesn't believe in anything, so if I fail, I feel better about myself. Okay, we got a couple people on the front row, and the rest of you guys are offended. All right. Am I telling you the truth or not? It says some will depart from the faith. That's a warning. That means there can be faith people that were once faith people at one time in their life, and they don't even believe anything anymore. I know people like that. People that could preach from a pulpit about faith, they don't even go to church anymore. Why am I saying this? Don't be so arrogant and prideful that you don't have your guard up. Like nothing will ever affect you or that would never be me. No, it could be anybody. And the Bible says in Timothy, it says some will depart from the faith listening to, what does it say? Deceiving spirits. Deception. Don't be fooled, people. I'm trying to help you this morning. I know I'm talking strong, but the devil needs it. It's not at you. It's to save your life and to let you know about what the devil's really doing. I didn't have that scripture in in my notes till this morning. But at the end of my message, I was looking at all the verses and I realized, well, why do I need to preach on this so strong today? Not just about the devil, not just who he is and where he came from. That's important. I told you that. But why do I need to preach so strongly about how he works? Because of that verse right there. In the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving ear to deceiving spirits. That's the time and age we live in. That's the time and age we live in. What about all these verses we just read speaking to a Corinthian church that was just like us, a spirit-filled church? 
And Paul would say time and time again, don't let Satan take advantage of you. Be aware of his devices. Be aware of his schemes. He's coming at you like an angel of light. Be aware of what's going on. Put your guard up. Have some knowledge about the enemy because he's full of deception. And what did he say to this church? He's going to try to come and deceive you just like he did Eve. Because he's cunning. And what's he going to say? Did God really say? Did God really say? And then after he says that, what's he going to say? He's going to say, because he's trying to hold out on you. You're missing out. You're missing out. He's trying to hold all this good stuff back from you. But in reality, God was trying to give him everything. You realize Adam and Eve, God gave them the whole entire world. And they're talking about one tree. How pathetic. But you know what? We all do the same thing, including myself. God, why can't I do this? God said, I gave you a million things you could do. You're trying to do the one thing that's going to hurt you. Can I be bold again? I've been bold all day. You receive it? You still like me? Okay, just making sure. There's people in our church that have even not strayed from the faith, but have started to backpedal on their faith. Don't be that. I'm not down on them. I love them. But you can see it from a mile away. They don't sit in the front anymore. They sit in the back. Sorry, ushers that sit in the back. They're not in ministry helps anymore. They don't give anymore. They're not at services anymore. Is this, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to save your life, people. I'm not saying this for selfish reasons. And what's happening all along? It's not a big deal. But what are you doing? Backing up. Backing up. Did God really say, nah, I don't need to be there that much. I used to give. I used to serve. I used to pray for my church. I liked it better when Dr. Jacobs was here. I wish the music went back to the way it used to be. Am I being a little too honest on a Sunday morning? Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. <laughs> Hear me today. Don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. I'm only 31 years old, but I've seen a lot of church life and a lot of church people. And I can see it from a mile away. And I'm telling you this morning, it's affecting some people in this church that are here and some that are not here right now. I'm not saying that out of anger. I love those people. I would literally cry over those people. But they don't see it. I'm sorry. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. That's the reason we talk so strong today. Not because I'm mad at anybody here. I'm trying to pull back that curtain and say, look at this dude. He's playing you right now. He's scheming you right now. He's conning you right now. And you're buying it. And you don't have to. And there's nothing good in it for you. But unless somebody gets up and say, says it, guess what? We're going to keep walking into deception. Because we're believing the suggestion, which are all lies. Come on, did you receive anything this morning? I just want to say a couple more things. I know I talked a long time today. So how do we guard ourselves from being deceived? I just put down four quick ways, and you're probably going to say to these, yeah, I already knew that, Pastor. 
And I'm going to say, okay, yes, you did, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. <clears throat> it's not like something you don't know. It's just called people know this, but they don't do this. <laughs> it's not that you don't know it. It's you don't do it. Thus, you are deceived. Super simple. If we're going to not be deceived or fall into these devices, these schemes, these tricks of the devil, we have to be spiritually strong. Spiritually strong. How many know anytime we've ever blown it, including myself, we were not spiritually strong? Yes or no? We were not spiritually strong. We were in a weak state, and that's when Satan takes advantage of us. He's a predator, just like what the predators do. They looked at after the one who's injured and who's alone, and they go after that one. They don't go after the herd. There's safety in numbers. They go after the one who's injured and who's weak and alone. So if we're not going to fall for deception, we've got to be in, be, become spiritually strong four ways. We've got to pray. You want to keep your spirit strong? You want to be spiritually strong? You need to pray every day. Do you hear me? Every day. Now, when I say every day, that doesn't mean hours. Most people think hours, and they're like, I can't do that. No one said hours. Five minutes would help you stay spiritually strong. Can you give God five minutes? We give Netflix five hours a day. Can we give God five minutes to be spiritually strong? You gave Fortnite three and a half hours of your life last night. Can we do five hours? I mean, five minutes. Goodness. Just to be spiritually strong. Five minutes. Start there. We got to pray every day if you want to be spiritually strong. Why? Because for your spirit, prayer is like lifting weights, keeping you strong, keeping you in contact with God. And how many know if you're in contact with God, you're not going to fall for the lies of the enemy? The enemy sounds good only because you haven't been listening to God. Okay. Number two, you need to be in the Word daily. The Bible, that's what I'm talking about. If you can't understand the King James Version, good. I don't either. Get a new translation. That's why I read out of different translations. The New Living Translation, the Message Translation, the Passion Translation, the Amplified Translation. There is a Pokemon Bible, for goodness sakes. There's a basketball Bible. You can find a translation that you understand. Okay. But you got to... You want to be spiritually strong? What does the Word of God do? It's like eating good spiritual food for yourself. You need to be in the Bible every day if you're going to stay spiritually strong. And if you don't want to read it, there's actual podcasts that read the Bible to you. Most of you all have smartphones that have a Bible app on it that you can press play. You don't even have to read. Get it in you. Get it in you. Trust me, even if you don't get anything every day or you feel like you don't, you're getting something. Number three, teaching. You need to be taught. So that means you need to come to church. You need to listen to podcasts. If you know of people that we would say that are good teachers in this church, look them up. There's podcasts. There's YouTube videos. You can find thousands and thousands of messages that would strengthen your faith. You can do that anytime you want. But if you're going to stay spiritually strong, you need to listen to good teaching. Good teaching all the time. Last but not least, if you're going to stay spiritually strong, you need to be in community. The greatest way we get deceived is when we get out of community. Why? Because he seeks after the person who's alone, who's isolated, who's weak. He goes after them, but he doesn't attack the, the herd. He doesn't go after the crowd. He goes after the one. You need to stay in community, church community. What does that mean? You need to come to church on Sunday mornings. Easy. We used to have five services around here. One service. Easy. Come on now. Being involved in a life group, doing life with other people, community, you need other people. Let me say this one more time for the people all over this church. The, one, the ones in here that don't think you need it are the ones who need it the most. 
And I could say that five times again. The ones who don't think they need life groups are the ones who need it the most. Because Satan's already got you. You're on the deception line as we speak. You need community. Am I saying that for selfish reasons? What do I get out of it that you go to your life group? Nothing. I'm saying it because it's going to help you. It's going to keep you strong. I mean, I do get something out of it because I want you to be healthy and strong. But we got to be in community. Here's another thing that happens in community. When you're by yourself all the time, you start thinking weird. True? Not true. True? You start thinking weird when you're by yourself all the time. When you isolate yourself all the time and you're alone all the time, you start thinking weird. What happens in community? You actually open up your mouth and say what you've been thinking, and somebody who's spiritual can say, What the heck are you thinking? But if you're not in community, you're isolated in your house thinking you're right. Thinking you're okay. Listening to the lies of the devil until somebody in community has to say, you're not thinking right. I'm not saying that because I'm mad at you. I'm saying that because I love you. And community can do that. Once again, you can't get that by yourself. I'm going to take it a step further. Most of the time, your spouse won't even say that to you, so you need a life group for somebody to say that to you. Because they're too afraid to be in the doghouse. They're not going to speak up. We need life groups. We need community. Doesn't that happen? Let me tell you about a time in my life. I know I'm going long today. Community. You need when you when you're by yourself, you start thinking weird and listening to lies that aren't true. What do you listen to? You're listening to the lies of the enemy. You're listening to your feelings. Your feelings. Hungry, tired, grumpy, sad. Let me put it on Facebook so I get some sympathy. I feel moody today. (laughs) Grow up. But you don't know that if you're not in community. I'm going to tell you something from my own life. You could start thinking a certain way. You can start thinking when you're isolated that you're all by yourself and you're the only one going through it. When I was going through a tough time in my life, I was anxious. I was depressed. I was feeling suicidal. I was isolating myself way too much. And when I was isolating myself way too much, what happened? I started listening to the lies, thinking, oh, I'm the only person going through this. I'm the only person who's sad. I'm the only person who's ever been anxious or depressed. And it wasn't true. It's not true. And you know what I had to have? I had to get in community and someone to say, Jordan, I love you, but you're not the only one who's ever went through something like this. I love you, but guess what? There's a way out of this. There's a way of escape. And because you've been isolating yourself, you're starting to think weird. You're starting to think strange because you're isolated and the enemy can get you when you're isolated. But you got to think different because... There's a way out. But I wouldn't know that unless I was in community. So four ways to stay spiritually strong. Can we stand up today? Morgan, could you come up to the front? Well, I appreciate you guys being here. I know I preached down one side.